Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Carol, how wonderful to see you. Hi, Chris. It, it's lovely to see you too. Finally, we we got it together. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I was going to say us oldies, but like we're, we're like we're not old. I just think life's. I think I said to you earlier, life's just racing ahead, and technology's racing ahead. And well, I, I'm okay with certain amount of technology, and I'm not particularly interested in a lot of it. But the things I need to do to communicate. I'm normally quite good at but what really annoys me and we were just discussing on the phone was like my my computer just decided to do this massive automated upgrade that I didn't want it to do and now I can't find any emails and they all stop at four days ago I was perfectly happy until my Mac decided to do something for itself and that's what's annoying <laughs> I envy you having a Mac I always went PC because I used to download the stuff download loads of stuff for free and PCs are good. Um, win- Windows is is good for that, right? And I yeah. and I never had the viruses that everyone said. Oh, Windows, you'll get virus. It's. Uh, I mean, I've had a couple in in like fifteen years of using a computer, but nothing to worry about. But well, now, we, yeah, we were on PC for years, and and when we moved across to Mac, I found it really difficult because your your brain is used to knowing where everything is. So now I'm used to Mac, but now if I go into my daughter's room and she's on a PC, I can't I can't do the PC anymore. It does my head in. But you're right. Technology is great when it works. When it doesn't, we're completely stuffed because our whole life has moved across onto it. And I've got this conspiracy theory that everything gets pushed up into the cloud, you know, all your information, your photographs, everything. And then they'll turn around one day and say, right, if you'd like access to your life, that's going to cost you blah, 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 blah. You know, well. Let, let's not talk about the current, let's not use any buzzwords. So like words with numbers on the end or um, these kind of words, because, but I think they've already done that, Carol, you know, I think they already have, have own our lives. And that's because we've just handed it, handed it to them without so much as a fight, you know. It's unwitting, isn't it? Like, um, th- this is how naive I am. A couple of years ago, um, I was looking online uh googling you know garden sheds we need a new garden shed looking for a good deal on the garden shed and then the next day when I got I was sort of like looking up just dossing around you know mucking about on safari all these adverts for garden sheds came up and I went well that's a coincidence because I was looking at garden sheds yesterday I didn't realize that they knew that and they like through garden sheds my way I truly 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 I probably said really stupid I didn't realize that so now it's it's terrifying and do you remember that um film Minority Report with Tom Cruise mm. when he he um he gets the eye transplant yes the eyes of somebody who's dead and when he walks into that shopping mall all these holograms appear in the the, the door shop um uh, and they go oh Good morning, Mr. Takanawi. That shirt you like's on offer. Good morning, Mr. Takawani. Uh, we've got some great CDs over here. And that was so prophetic. These guys who write these sci-fi films, they just know, don't they? And that's that's what's happening to us. They they know. Yeah, and another good one is um oh, is it They Live? The one with Roddy Piper where he puts his sunglasses on and he sees a world for what it really is, a bit oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a bit like those of us that are enlightened and so the ball, billboards, instead of reading, you know, luxury, this is going to improve your life. It's like yeah. brainwash. Yeah. Hate you. Buy mm. this, buy this, buy this. And it's yes. Definitely. Yeah. Life is um, life has changed very quickly in the last decade that, you know, obviously things change all the time and not always for the better. But nothing stays the same. We know that. But it's just gone. Just lately and I think it's it's quite daunting and it's quite hard to keep up yes very very much so I was saying to you earlier there I was as a 17 year old I was doing this uh, electrical apprenticeship and I had to go to college in 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 Plymouth daily and I used to sit there in all that traffic even back then there was traffic just thinking is this going to be the rest of my life it can't be 
because <laughs> I wasn't really enjoy, in, enjoying it. And so I used to park in a lay-by on the side of the road, put my Tapau cassette in. Would, would it have been back then? It was probably. It, you you know, it was a long time ago. Put my Tapau cassette in and listen to China in your hand while <laughs> while reading recruitment brochures for the Royal Marines. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, did I get you into the forces? Was that my fault? Well, isn't it amazing that the serendipity of life is that here we are? And, and obviously you get this a lot. Um, I get like the lifeguard in my local swimming pool goes, hi, Chris. And my little boy goes, does he know you from the podcast, daddy? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, son. <laughs> I get my pen out ready to sign an autograph, but it's it's not... It's... <laughs> It's, it's I've only signed signed books, but um, yes. Yeah, so amazing to to finally uh, meet you, albeit virtually. And we need to say thank you to Luke Pepper. Luke's yeah. Luke's on my team, helps me out very much. So yeah. thank thank you, yeah. Luke. Fabulous. You two too. You two too. The the yeah. you two tribute band. Very um, good. Yeah. Yes, Luke is the edge, isn't he? He's uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. They're very authentic, and they've had compliments, I think, from the band themselves, haven't they? From the actual YouTube. Yeah. So that's yes, great. they are good, and they their following is just growing huge. Well, I, I get really worried about things like that because obviously, I my all my hits, uh, big hits, are, are quite some time ago, and I find sometimes when you get really, really good tribute bands, they they get a bigger crowd than we do. And I get really pissed off. <laughs> Isn't flattery the greatest form of? Flattery or something though, or imitation. Yeah, but they're not imitating me. They're imitating somebody else, and they're a tribute band, and they get a, they get a better crowd than an original band. That's that because sometimes it's the catalogue of the songs that is the stars, isn't it? Yeah. That's why bands like you two, who had dozens and dozens and dozens of hits, bands like that create an industry for impersonators, tributes, all sorts of things. They create a real industry, don't they? And funnily enough, um, the guy who was the guitarist for the longest time to power Dean Howard, his son is now the bass player in Aussie Floyd, and they play arenas. They play like Wembley, you know. And um, so it's a really big market. And if you do if you do it well, people really enjoy it. Well, my girlfriend and I we went to see we went to an Elvis evening at our local um, our local theatre. And they had throughout the course of the evening about, I don't know, let's say five or six different Elvis impersonators. And of course, they're all really good because they're, they're world class. Yeah. But in the uh, interim, one of the Elvises stood in the aisle and all the women queued up to kiss him. <laughs> and I'm sat there with, with my girlfriend. I said, don't they realise that's not Elvis? It's, it... it, it <laughs> I can top that. When I was at art school in Shrewsbury um, back in the early 80s, uh, the band The Police were massive, you know, and they were always played on the jukebox and stuff. Anyway, there was this guy, I don't know what his name was, and he looked just like Sting. So he'd had his hair done when Sting had the spiky peroxide blonde and he wore a, you know, a parachute um, suit. Remember when Sting was wearing those and all the all-in-one parachute thing? And I don't know what you call it. And this guy used to pull every night used to go over the pub with a different girl every night because in their heads, they were going home with Sting. <laughs> I loved uh, Sting in Quadrophenia for the, um, when he plays the ace face in Quadrophenia and he's got the cool, slick, razor-sharp suit and his blonde... I've, I've never seen that film. I know it's like saying I've never seen Star Wars, but I, I haven't seen Quadrophenia. I'll have to watch it. Oh, well, there we go. There's one for, one for all of us. Quadrophenia to all our young people out there that haven't watched it the mods and the rockers giving it to each other at uh, brighton yeah, <laughs> the story of it i know the genesis of it and a good friend of mine toya was in it obviously yes i don't think i've ever watched it oh it's my squeaky chair i don't think i've ever watched it through to the end so that's uh, that's something to do isn't it yeah yes it is it is is it annoying carol when you're i mean when you're playing a venue and you you, you must get people going, can you play this? Can you play that? And and it's like, yeah, but we do other stuff as well. We, you know, we've done. It can be. Some people, it's the money shot, isn't it? They want to get to the big hits like China in Your Hand and Valentine and, and obviously um, Heart and Soul. Um, and I love those songs too. And, it, you know, they've created a great career for me and, and I'm not complaining about that. 
but of course we we write other songs and we feel passionately about the new stuff as well and I sent you a track that we're we're releasing on the 30th of April and um, I still write with Ronnie my old mucker from from the big old bad old days we wrote all the power hits and we still put out music and and it, it is a little frustrating not to get the same traction on stuff that you feel really passionately about as a creative person but I can't really you know complain about the fact that people still love China and Yan <laughs> that would be a bit petulant wouldn't it yes and we're going to play your your new track get guess who's sorry now I'm just running through my mind the technological side of it because I would turn my mic off. Well, can't, you, can't you edit it into the end of the podcast? So when we say goodbye, it could just play us out. You could do that later, couldn't you? Oh, what a great idea. There we go. In fact, I can send you the link to, we've done a little video. It's called a lyric video. Okay. Yes, please, please, by all means. And my son, Dylan, who's 18, he's made it for me. So what you do is your lyric video, clues in the name. You take the lyrics to the song and then um, you create a video around them changing the font and the shape and you put you know backgrounds behind and stuff and then that would be great so you and I could say goodbye and off we go into the sunset and the, 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 our viewers our lovely viewers can watch the video at the end yes and I get the great honor of editing to pal <laughs> there we go this this is a great reason to start a podcast folks is your your dreams uh, you li- live the dream I got the ideas. You press the buttons. That's the way my life's always worked. <laughs> so let's um, let's talk about your your uh, early success because one of the names came up when I was doing a bit of research was Pepe Jeans. Yeah, and yeah. I, I remember they were in the eighties, weren't they? They were yeah. when when Levi's and stuff became popular. Pepe were one of the brands that were were, were cool to wear. Were um and. What's really annoying is Pepe can't find the footage because they've got some of their archive stuff up on YouTube. Yeah, so Heart and Soul, which was our first release, um, was taken on by Pepe as their um, cinema commercial um, run. So when you went to the pictures, as we say, just before the film started, and the ba 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 one of the ads would be Pepe Jeans. And it was a collage of different images with Heart and Soul playing in the background. So that added to to a little bit of traction for the song, a little bit of cool for us, and, and it was great. But I've been in touch with Pepe, and it just happens sometimes. It's it's gone missing. They've got other things in their archive, but not that one, which is a pity. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. And, and that did that's that sprung you onto the world stage. Am I right in thinking that off the back of that exposure? Yeah, it did. Well, it, it kind of was a helpful reprieve, because what had happened was Heart and Soul got released in the UK as our first single, and it was a huge flop huge flop so we thought the record company were going to drop us and it was all over before it started because record companies are ruthless if you don't work you don't make a money your history very quickly you know um and um fortunately for us um virgin america had also released um heart and soul in the states and it started galloping up the billboard chart it was fantastic so um that sort of got us a lot of tv work we all went over to america to promote it over there and capitalize on where it was a success and it went up uh, to number four in the end and then uh we became a, a little bit cool for five minutes so pepe picked up on the song and they wanted to use it so our record company in the uk um re-released it and then it went to number four in the uk as well so that was good so pepe jeans was very helpful in getting the song re-released back home because the record company thought oh we'll, we'll give it another go you know what was it like? You probably get sick of being asked this, but I guess everyone wants to know, what's it like to have so much success so young? Well, I wasn't that young. I just looked it. <laughs> I was actually um, quite geriatric um, in terms of pop uh, music. So I didn't start singing until I was 22. When I was 22, I went back to art school as a mature student. And um, a bit like you were saying about sitting in traffic thinking, is this my life? And after I'd done failed my A-levels miserably and bounced from one dead-end job to another and doing a bit of au pairing across in Holland. I was like, oh, is this my life? And I just, I got a job um, with the Ironbridge Gorge Museum and from there um, went and did a foundation course in art uh, with a friend. And when I was at art school, I met all these different sorts of people, amazing, eclectic, wacky artists, people very different from the, the sorts of people I'd met in a girls' grammar school, you know. 
who were more academic and more kind of conventional. And so um, I started mixing with musicians and I'd always liked to sing. And a friend said, you have a great voice. I've heard you singing to the radio. I'm going to introduce you to this guy. He's got a local band. They're looking for a singer. So that was my start at 22. And then I met Ronnie, Ronnie Rogers, who was um, my uh, partner and my, uh, my boyfriend for 13 years and also became my professional partner and still is. And we started writing for that local band. And then we borrowed some money off my dad and we, we got uh, home studio stuff and we left that band and, and focused on our demos. But we kept getting turned down or we were close but no cigar, you know, that expression. So we get record companies sniffing around. They go, we think maybe, 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 mm, ah, no, thanks, you know. So by the time I got my record deal with uh, Virgin Records, I was 26. Mm. And by the time we were recording... Um, the album I was 27 so I was I was pushing 30 when China in your hand was at number one the years went by really quickly so I, w- I wasn't actually that young I'd, I'd um, you know I'd been knocking around a long time in local bands and just trying to trying to catch a break and it didn't come easily it was very very hard won our success but no I just and in fact our PR girl at the time was uh, the broadcaster Mariella Frostrup she was in music PR back then and she uh, immediately started shaving years off my age in any um, statement about the band. And because I, w- I was quite baby-faced, um, I got away with it. But that wasn't something that I would ever have done. It would have occurred to me that it was a problem. I was still young and ambitious and energetic. It didn't occur to me that the fact I was 26 before I even got decent management was a problem for the industry. So, On the subject of the industry, do you ha- can you... <sighs> Can you enlighten us at all or feel feel free not to if it's going to get you in trouble? But, you know, I had Robbie Robbie on the show a while back and I was kind of pushing his buttons on this whole. Robbie Williams. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) that's when you're famous, when it's just one name, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Rob was on the show, been on twice, actually. And I was just pushing his buttons about this this Faustian pact business. there's a film out at the moment in fact there's a film it came out about I think it was about three years ago it's called American Satan and it's about this young band really they've got the sound they've got the look you know but but obviously many many bands have also got that and 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 the huge talent and then in order to get to the top their record company say right you need to sign a pact with the devil um, and you need to do certain things for us to prove your um your allegiance, I say, and once you're in, you can't leave, right? So it all sounds very... That's like The Firm, the Tom Cruise movie, The Firm. Yes, very much. Yeah. But then, then you hear people like Bob Dylan, and they're saying, you know, how have you been so successful all these years? And he says, well, you know, I work for the man. Which man, Bob? You know, the man. Like, you know, not not the good guy. Um and and then you see films like the it was it Crossroads told the life of this jazz um, jazz musician I believe it was and he reached the crossroads and the devil was waiting for him and he said right if you come this way you're going to get it a bit like that bit in the Bible you get you, you're going to have everything but you'll also sort of have nothing so I I just wondered if that's something you've ever ever come across because. Whenever you see a music video at one of these events or, or, or someone up on the stage, I'm thinking of like your McDonald's, Madonna's and your Gaga's and all this sort of stuff. It's not really the stuff you want your children to see. Um, uh, I don't know. I think that's just the passage of time. Well, firstly, the Faustian Pact, um, that's all down to the individual. I, I sometimes wish that I had been ruthlessly ambitious, then maybe I would have stayed as big as I was because I wasn't ruthlessly ambitious. I am, I'm still ambitious. I want to do well. And that feeds back to the previous comments. I want you all out there to enjoy my new music. I'm still doing it. I'm still ambitious. I still got the burn, but I'm not gonna do all the networking or, or for example, I've worked with people that I should just have fucking fired. And I never did because rock the boat it would upset so many people but if I'd have been more business-like about things I'd have gone this isn't working go next which is what people like Madonna have a reputation for doing they move forward constantly don't they so I have a grudging admiration for that and I, I wish I was a bit more ruthless sometimes and maybe if I was a bit more ruthless I'd have stayed 
massively successful. I am still successful and very busy, but I might have stayed really big. And maybe Robbie having been as big as he was, which was much bigger than me, he'll know all about that. He will know what you might have to give up or how you might have to behave. And for some people that's instinctive in them. They're, they're killers, aren't they? Metaphorically speaking, they're killers. And I'm not a killer. I'm just um, a really enthusiastic singer and I like having fun on the stage. So I don't have that killer instinct. And a more watered down sort of explanation of that is sometimes you have to compromise like you do in everything. You know, we used to have arguments with our record co company all the time about what should be the next single. And um, I used to have battles about what I should wear. Nobody actually said, get your tits out, Carol. Nobody actually said that to me because I just don't give off that vibe that you could talk to me like that. But there was a time when one of our videos ground to a halt because I was wearing a big pair of baggy jeans and not showing off my legs, which mm. apparently were a huge selling point for the music, the legs, so I was told, you know, not the music. Uh, but I was a young, pretty girl and I had a good figure and I didn't mind, you know, like young people do. You, you, you know, I never I never showed uh, flesh, but I definitely showed I didn't mind wearing skin tight clothes and showing I was in good shape. And I was enjoying that. Your sexuality is part of your humanity. And what I hate just lately is that, that somehow as a woman, that's not being a feminist or something. You know, I think absolutely. If you're a peacock, that's absolutely fine. Mm. You know, and I enjoyed um, feeling confident in myself. Uh, when I was young and I certainly like most people would use my look to look nice in the photographs or on the album cover or in the video something like that but I wouldn't have anybody telling me what to wear so but so those kinds of things went on you know and um, and again having a couple of years shaved off my age without anybody asking me and I got absolutely attacked for that on a live tv show called Network 7 by a journalist called Paul Morley who live on air said, so why do you lie about your age? And why do you wear your skirt so short? Is it to take everybody's mind off the fact that your music is crap? Things like that happen to me. It's, a, it's tough and people are out, definitely out to get you. Um, but I guess the massively successful amongst us are the toughest. I wasn't that tough. I couldn't take all of it for sure. Well, I'm glad you're the way you are, Carol. And, and the fact that people, uh, uh, um, I mean, I put the shout out on my social media that I'm going to talk to Carol and the fee fee feedback's just uh, amazing. Um, and the fact you're still entertaining people and they want to come back for more. And there's there's merit in that. That's that's valid. People don't want the newer music. They want to remember what they loved at special times in, in their life. And I mean, I, loads of people I know still go out raving. It's it. It's part of our lives. We're never going to sort of. Oh. Well, it's a soundtrack to your youth, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, my kids—they're twenty-two and eighteen. They're into their own genre and age group of music, and that's normal. Of course, that's normal. But about I don't know, fifteen, twenty years ago, um, you stopped being old past forty. So we we've got disposable income. And before all this COVID crap, we still want to go out and you want to go out and like you say, enjoy the music that you grew up with. So the Renaissance for the eighties has been phenomenal. And I haven't, I haven't stopped for the last 10 years. I did my first um, 80s, quote unquote, eighties tour in 2001 with Paul Young, Kim Wilde, Go West and China Crisis. And we, between us, we sold out the arenas again. And I have not stopped since. Um, so it'd be nice to get back to it, um, you know, when all this is, is over. Yes. And it's different now. When when we were young, anybody past the age of 25 was like old. They wore old people's clothes. So they wore like yeah. dog dog tooth suit or, yeah. or, or and, and they wore Clark shoes and, and and they just weren't cool. cool. Now... People our age, we're legends. Young people look up to us because they know these people actually achieve something with their life. And yeah. when you're working in a call centre or delivering pizza to try and get yourself through uni or whatever it, it might be, you need to have people like yourself, Carol, that, that are a beacon of a beacon of hope, really, and a, and a, and a, and a good example. And um, That's nice of you to say so. I mean... Yeah, I know that feeling where you don't know where you quite fit in. I really, I really know that. And I can remember having waves of 
depression when I was in my early 20s thinking is this it because like I said I failed my A-levels I didn't go excuse me to uni and I realized I didn't really want to go to uni I was just on that sausage machine of you do your exams and on you go you know so I didn't know where I fitted in so just you have to stumble around sometimes to find where you fit in and oh my god the crappy jobs I had um I once worked in a toy factory and my job was to put the cambers on a boomerang so I had a big sanding belt and it, and it would go and you flip the boomerang over and go Zzz. and every now and again because the factory was in Bridgenall so it's on the river you have to throw a test boomerang <laughs> they never came back so I clearly wasn't <laughs> it's quite hard to throw a boomerang there I've I've got a complaint now actually because I bought a boomerang the other day yeah and I threw it and, and it came right back well, it clearly wasn't one of the ones that I made because that was just a stick. <laughs> just really went. And the other worst I had was um, back in the days when the supermarkets had their own butchery department. So my father worked for Tesco's for years. And um, instead of just, they have the meat delivered now and it goes out on the, you know, the a big butchery department. And he got me a Saturday job there because my dad was always getting me jobs because I was just useless. And uh, my job was to pull the lamb's kidneys out they were still attached by the, the membrane in the carcass so I'd have to pull the kidneys out of the carcasses and put them in a polystyrene tray and then put the um, cling film over them and seal it with the hot wire and stick the sticker away you know all that kind of thing so I was just like pulling dead bodies apart and trying to make boomerangs <laughs> just the nutty things I've done I've done the dead animal thing I I chopped I chopped salmon in a factory in Norway to make money for my travels at one one point. And don't ask see another side of the food industry when you do okay. jobs like that. And it's not not a good side. Doesn't bear thinking about, does it really? But um, anyway, um, life can be unpleasant at times. That's just a fact of life. But you know, you do just bumble around and then hopefully find where you fit in. You know. So, and I did, and I still love it. So. Yes, and it's. It's great, isn't it, that we get, I, I say, uh, maybe maybe we reincarnate, or I, I don't get into those kind of debates, because I, I think we get one life in this set of molecules that people refer to as Chris and Carol, <laughs> and then when we're gone, we're gone, you know, we form, form some, we'll be part of a squirrel next time or whatever, but yeah. isn't it great on this one chance we get in this life that you find a passion that you love and, and, and you can live it and follow it? Yeah, well, there's an expression, isn't there, that if you can do something you love, you'll never do a day's work in your life. If you can aim for that, whatever that is, it's whatever feeds your soul, you know. Mm. And, um, and and my business hasn't always fed my soul because, like we were talking about earlier, it's really um, cutthroats. Everybody's got sharp elbows. I, I uh, really loved being famous. I absolutely loved it. I found it so validating. So any sort of... Um, things that had gone wrong in my life before, like anybody else, you know, I'd been disappointed, I'd been heartbroken, I'd been bullied, I'd had, you know, periods of anxiety, like everybody else. As soon as you're famous and everybody wants to, to know you, it's temporarily very validating, very reassuring. But of course, when it goes away, you're left with yourself again. And that can be hard. And it makes me really worry about the young kids on the the tv shows like the x factor and you know where they get made uber famous overnight they're in your face primetime tv every saturday night the whole world knows them all, all the magazines are after them all the packs are chasing them and then they go out of the show on the third round and they're back working in the post office or something if they're lucky that must you must have to be the most stable person not to have that fuck your head up you know because it can mess you up it really can yeah you're making me think of those two guys i think one of them was in the the chilies it might it might it it might i might have got that wrong but let's just say the chilies and the other the other guy i'm thinking of was in blur and they just up one day and went i'm out of here i've had an oh and they both became farmers and and i thought what a great and after I think after one of them left, the Chili's guy, their their biggest album success ever, and he's like, I don't care, I'm my my mind's like on something else now. So, uh, with the, the blur, it was the bass player, wasn't it, Alex James? Yeah. Alex, well, Ronnie yes. Ronnie did that. 
when we were doing our third or fourth Wembley Arena, and I, I couldn't get over myself that we thought, you know, we were selling this out, and and he was just a bit offhand one day, and um, a bit down, not offhand, and I just said, "What's up?" And he just went, "I'm bored." He'd done it. He wanted to do it, and he'd done it, and he'd had the experience. And um, without going into too too much of that, um, that was him deciding, "I don't want to do this anymore. It's I'm on a treadmill." Because you, when you get really successful, you are on a treadmill. Personally, I liked it. I really liked it. But he he has a farm in Wales. <laughs> what is it about becoming, he's not a farmer, but he just built a recording studio and he lives in Wales and his wife is a, a horsewoman and he's he's happy living like that and doing the odd gig with us now and again. He didn't want all of that and I really wanted all of it and that can happen, you know. And Carol, you're from Iton, is that is that right? Iton with a H. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. I say Iton because... The guy I was in the Marines with always used to call it Iton, so I thought that's what it how it was pronounced. Because <laughs> yes, it would be Heighton. Heighton. Yeah, maybe I just. Elsa would drop the H, love. We love our H's in Liverpool. We really do. Um, I, well, I was born there, yeah, and um, I but I left when I was seven, and I grew up in Shropshire for most of my life. Um, so you're, you're called a blown away Scouser when you've left Liverpool, but. I have a, a very large extended family and a lot of them are still there. So um, we rock up for weddings and funerals, you know, anywhere where there's a party and some drink, I'll turn up. <laughs> and Carol, you've, you've, um, you've been in, obviously you've done lots of television, but you've been in, in, in a, at least one film, haven't you? Um, what did I do? I just started acting. There was Nine Dead Gay Guys. Is that the one you're thinking of? With- I think I read somewhere about it, yeah. Yeah, I got shagged to death by Stephen, but the great Stephen Burkhoff shagged me to death. He killed me. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I was so... <laughs> no, I had a little stab at acting and I did okay. My my, uh, I was in a play in the West End called Mum's the Word with Jenny Eclair and Kathy Tyson in Mission Stubbs. I did um, a bit of telly. I did Doctors, the daytime drama. I did the movie with um, Stephen Burkhoff. I did um, the first... BAFTA-nominated interactive movie called Running Time, where, um, oh gosh, this is a long time ago now, it's pushing 15 years, where, um, and it was the early days of of, um, the internet, so people could watch the film on YouTube, and then they could decide which character, how the storyline went, so the script writers would have to quick see where the public wanted the story to go, and you would either be written out, or the script, the script would be faxed through to me Sunday night, and I'd have to learn it all for Monday morning. So that was an experience. Mm. Um, and then, I don't know, To I, I found myself at the bottom of the ladder as an actor. And by that time, I was 45 and I had two little children. And I'd already done all my scrabbling around in the music business to get to a certain level. And I realised that the acting profession would want the same from me. They would want that dedication. They would want me working really hard at a very low level for very little money to earning my stripes before I got decent gigs and I suddenly realized I haven't got the patience all the time to do that I like it but I don't like it enough to work that hard so I went back to uh to music and um and things like you know radio presentation and stuff I can walk and talk at the same time so I I I often get asked to, to I stepped in for Gary Davis on Radio 2 last year or do absolute 80s or something like that and it's fun you know I'm I'm also quite a flippity gibbet so um I don't like to see the same thing all the time and even though I sing the same songs I sing them in a different town on different stage to a different bunch of people so there's a different dynamic so that suits my personality I remember after the opening night of um Mum's the Word and it was so star-studded and um everyone was there I remember I took Kim Wilde to the toilet she couldn't find the toilet when I got back I just missed Kate Bush who not Kate Bush, Kate Moss, who'd come in to say hi to me. I'd missed her taking Kim bloody wild to the lavatory. It was so annoying. And I, and it's like this massive orgasm. And then the next day, you've got to do two shows, Wednesday matinee, Wednesday evening, Thursday, Friday, Saturday matinee. And you go, phew. And the more experienced actresses said to me, you do realise you have to do all this again tomorrow. Because I was just like high on opening night and then it becomes such a job a running a play is such a mundane job it really is do you have to put a little bit of different flair on it each night to to i don't know for your own soul or something or or, or does it become very 
I tried that, but we got told off by the director. We were all called into the house director's mm -hmm. office and told off because obviously you wouldn't do that with a classic play. You wouldn't do that with a Shaw or a Shakespeare or any of the classics because they're written a certain way. But this was a very modern comedy about being a mom and and all the chaos that that entails being a mom of young kids and all the plate spinning you do. So we did um, try to put a different edge to it like it was stand up or something, and we all got told off. Are you friends with Kim Wilde to this day? Yeah, yeah, we were emailing each other the other day. Yeah, Se she's great. Second part to that question is she married? She's been married for a long time. <laughs> she's married to an actor, Hal Fowler, and they met when they were both doing Tommy. So she, she met her husband in the West End. I, I thought she was. I've been a, a big fan ever since the. Uh, uh, kids in america was yeah. was a big part of my very young well this year it's 40 years mm -hmm. the anniversary That's oh, we'll have to get kim on the show that would be pe people who know me know it's my standing joke that i'm in love with kim wilde everybody's i'm in love with kim wilde everybody's in love with kim wilde how's um how's the cameo um i don't know what you call it website working out for you i notice you well, that was a bit of a laugh, actually, because um, a friend of my a friend of mine who also does it, she says, honestly, it's fun. She said, you get to talk to your fans. It means a lot to them and they throw some money in your bank account. So, um, you know, being at home uh, for the last year, like everybody else, I haven't exactly earned a lot of money. <laughs> I started to think, well, that's a that's a couple of bottles of wine just for sitting on your ass and going, hi, happy birthday. <laughs> So um, I did it and I'm on another site called Celebrity VM, um, which I think is more UK based, so a bit more relevant. And it's lovely. And um, when you like you said to me earlier that um, you used to listen to, to my songs when you were sat in your car going through brochures for the Marines and stuff, thinking my life needs to move, you know. So before you and I connected today, I had a Celeb VM come in on my phone request and it says, um, I won't give the names because, well, actually, no, it's out in the public, so it doesn't matter. So it says, Julie is a wonderful woman, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's her birthday on the 27th of April. And we are getting married on the 12th of December this year. But we met in 1987 and we dated in the 80s. And your music was the background to our our teenage dating. And we used to, you know, play Bridge of Spies all the time. And clearly the years went by and they must have gone away and lived lives. And now they've come back and they wanted to tell me that they'd come full circle and they wanted me to be part of that and give them my blessing. I could actually get ordained and marry them, couldn't I? That would be a good thing to do. So yeah. that is when your music means so many years have gone by that people are saying, you know, they're telling you how they grew up with you. And that's that's really lovely. It means it's so much more now. I obviously back in the day before email, we had snail mail. I would get bags and bags and bags of fan mail, and there was so much of it that it became a bit of a blur. Now it's much more intense to know that here we all are, thirty years later, and you're still telling me I mean that much to you, and it's lovely, you know. Yes, it's it's it it it's wonderful, and it must be quite um, gratifying, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You get some funny stories there, like um, one uh, fan letter I had came from Her Majesty's prisons, and obviously this prisoner had been allowed to write to me, but the letter had been really redacted, so there was all like all this black stuff. <laughs> Lord knows what he was saying he wanted to do to me. <laughs> but dear Carol, I've always liked you. I've got a poster of you on my the back of the door of my cell, and I blacked out. <laughs> It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe he was saying, and uh, if you'd kindly send me a, a file in a cake. Yeah, yeah. I could have been that innocent. My dirty mind went elsewhere. But <laughs> yeah, so friends at home, if you're wondering what Karen and I are talking about, um, Memo and Cameo are these platforms that we've been signed up to. Well, I've, I've signed up to this Cameo, uh, Cameo and Memo. And oh, OK. So yeah, I'm on Cameo and Celeb VM. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll put a link for Carol underneath this video. So if you'd like a personal message from her, it is, I can't remember which one is the video platform. Are, are they both video? Yeah. Celebrity yeah. VM is that celebrity video message. And then Cameo is you just do a little Cameo like that. Yeah. And it's 
you know. So if you want to say, you know, if, if it's your mother's birthday or mothering Sunday or Father's Day or whatever, and, and, and he's of our era, you can have Carol wishing him a happy birthday. Well, you, yeah, you can do that personally. Or, or what some people have done is they've got an event coming up and they want to, I send them that and then that will go up on a big screen. So you'll, you'll congratulate people and it'll be broadcast into the room. Wow. So you can use it want it can be a professional and you're the same it could be a professional thing or you could say hi everybody um i hear it's your agm for uh, you know your company and i just want to say yo and get those figures up well done you know they, they use it in a corporate way as well if they want so anyway it's not it's not something i want to do for a living <laughs> but it's it's a new thing and and it, it it's it's part of using your skill set isn't it talking yeah. to people earning a bit of money which which we all need to do Yes, of course, of course. Um, so final question, Carol, because I'm, I'm aware of your precious time, um, yeah. which you've been very gracious to, to give to our podcast. What, um, how did you manage the excesses over the year? And you, you're talking to someone that I didn't really manage, <laughs> haven't really managed it very well most of my life. Um, but you're in a, an industry that's notorious for its excesses and, 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 and people are very, obviously very vulnerable when they come into the or some people into the music yeah. industry. There's a, I'm guessing a lot of people come from damaged backgrounds and that, that, that music is their expression of themselves. And how, how was that? For me, I've, I, ne I never was a druggie ever. I, I, I tried some dope, not my thing. Tried a bit of Coke, not my thing. My biggest vice, and it still is, is alcohol. So I would say that I've gotten myself into some bad states with booze. Um, and I have, and I'm going to be completely honest about this, I have on many an occasion and recently, especially with all the depression and with lockdown and everything, uh, tried to get some kind of help, like whether it's um, a bit of online psychotherapy or I, I signed up to a, a webinar of different modules that you could complete and try and change the way you think about your life so you don't need to rely on on drink but I find at the end of the day if when I put my feet if I can't have a large glass of wine I my life isn't worth living so I just think you, I've had to learn to not drink to excess which is easy to do if you've got the money and you don't have to get up for work at nine o'clock in the morning which not, not very few of us have had to do over the last 12 years it's so easy to indulge yourself and it's available in the supermarkets it's everywhere isn't it alcohol's a tricky one um, so you do have a tiger by the tail but in terms of the other excesses I met lots of people who were really screwed up by you know what they could get their hands on and people want to please you people will rock up with a little bag and they want to be your best friend because you're famous and all the rest of it you know but um I'll tell you a funny story um my uh I not only did I not take drugs I was anti-drugs and back then I saw a huge distinction between legal and illegal so cocaine illegal alcohol legal I now know they're both as bad as each other and that's irrelevant but back then this is the way I thought and my cousin um, who was roughly the same age as me when he was in his 20s he took so much cocaine he had massive heart so had personal family experience of a close family member almost dying so when you go on tour you have an itinerary the band and the crew and everyone get it and it's got the gigs the loading times the journey times the hotel addresses all the key telephone numbers so everyone you've got your bible that's your itinerary is your bible when you're on the road and we were sitting in a meeting and i said so what i want written on the last page of the itinerary is if anybody if anybody is caught taking drugs on this tour they will be immediately dismissed and my tour manager, Jenny, said, I, I can do that, Karen. I can put that in as long as you're happy touring on your own. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It turns out because they all knew everybody was doing toots. And in the 90s, everybody was doing E. And they just all used to do it behind my back because I was just like Margaret Thatcher or Barbara Woodhouse. Or something. <laughs> I can't catch anybody. Oh, I was like this with my wine. Oh, oh, oh. oh, I can't catch anybody taking drugs. <laughs> so they're, they're all as bad as each other. And, you know, and, and but they do say human beings have been finding a way to get off their faces. Instead yes. of licking toads. It's something we, something a lot of us need to do. It's a release, isn't it? I just, I don't want to be logical. I know it isn't good for me and I don't care. I just need to 
let it all go for a minute. So it's part of human nature, but it, 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 you do have a tiger by the tail, I think, with substance. Yes, it's a it's a massive subject. Again, I talk a lot about it. I was a, a, um, a substance misuse specialist for three years in a in a local clinic here. And um, what helping people or taking it? Well, I, I've never stopped. I've never stopped doing anything, Carol. And I, 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 I don't hide that because for me, it's never about a substance. It's about where your mind is. Yeah. Um, I'm always trying to point out to people, substances can't cause addiction. Childhood trauma is the driver behind or, or deep seated unhappiness that you possibly don't even realize. Right. I would agree with you. I would say. 80% of that I completely agree with you but sometimes it is a chemical addiction sometimes the chemicals can actually mess with you so that because we are all hormones and chemicals so I do think there's a almost a science element to it with some people um but I agree with you it's like why do you need to get off your face Let, let's take the when you're young and everyone's partying that's a different thing let's just move that to one side because I get that it's like a rites of passage thing but it's when you're older now like I'm older now and I really still need to have my drink around me you start to wonder why you need it and you're right it's because who knows what's going on in the back there that you don't always want to think about a process and it's just easier to to calm it yes yes yeah, it's um, just to clarify in case people get get me a bit wrong there it's like I choose none of it now 99.9 percent .9 of the time i'm not I, ne I never say never but it's only because once you crack it life life just, you, just you know you just get on a different level carol you know and this is not 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 a lecture but i i inadvertently ended up doing one year no beer thinking it was a hashtag it's expensive that sorry sorry say again that costs money though one year no beer no it? no no here's the thing a marine mate of mine said to me, oh, all the guys are doing this one year no beer, right? You've got to remember, he's talking to a guy that I did drugs and alcohol pretty much every day for 30 years, right? And I just happened to hear a one year no beer podcast. I, it popped up somewhere on my internet. And it was my friend Ollie Ollerton off the um, SAS Who Dares Wins program. Well, I, might have, I might have met Ollie. I might have met him. Probably you lo lovely guy, but very nice man. Very, uh, can we say awake as well? And and I just thought, ah, oh. and it it I still hadn't realised that this was a course that you can pay for, and they put you yeah. through. So I just announced, right, that's it. One year no beer. What I will say for people listening is, when your life gets that low then some then when it when when a ray of light like a year off the beer comes in it just seems the better option so for me at that time um it was the better i i in, in a nutshell i i woke up on a bench in charing cross at 20 past four in the morning oh, right. i was like I was, my phone in my hand and, and my fortunately my my backpack was still or my my day sack was still next and took me a while to work out like who I was and where I was not not for the first time in my life and um and then I worked it out I'd come off on the train from the southwest met another marine we would go into a, the 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 Royal Marines birthday the next day we'd got hammered on the train I I'd probably got on the train having drunk uh four beers maybe even six then I would have had another four on the train then we polished off all his rum right I must have got to Charing Cross, sat on the bench to to find out where my accommodation was, mm. and in that moment crashed. Oh, yeah. And well, here's the thing: it wasn't just my life I had to think about. Then I I was a father. I I, I was late to fatherhood, and I got this little baby at home. And what the fuck am I doing? I could have been killed. Yeah. Someone could have just you know what I know. It's easy to conjure up. You know, someone could have stolen my phone or my bag. Anything could have could have put my relationship with my son in jeopardy. And only you can, only I could. So I thought that was it. It, it I did the one year no beer. And it wasn't until um, I think the Ollie Ollerton interview popped up that I realised it was an organisation. <laughs> so so um, I did one year and it was so brilliant. I did another year. And now... Um, 
all I can say is every time I drink, it's just such a crock of shit for me, Carol. It's just an awful, awful experience. I, yeah. I don't, but this is not a lecture. I'm just saying for the people no, no, out not, there that are struggling. I'm not taking it as a lecture. No. And I, so I, I probably would class myself more as a dipsomaniac. So I'm married to a wonderful chef. We love good food and restaurant. You know, my idea of heaven is, and I can't wait to get back over to Europe to some fantastic place in the south of France. You get a big uh, fruit de mer platter and you start out with some sparkling wine, then you move on to a crisp white. And I'm just, oh, I just love all that. I love it. I love it. And to take that away is, is taking away a big part of what I like. What I'm saying is sometimes I just don't put the brakes on because I don't need to. And that's when I wake up with a woolly head and just feel a bit disappointed with myself. But no, I never got, um, oh, when I was young, yeah, I probably did get into a few states, which if I hadn't had a few friends made sure I got home, I probably would have been buggered to death and left in the shallow grave somewhere. But like you say, when you're, you've got a kid and you wake up fortunately intact with all your stuff still in the middle of bloody London, you just think, hang on a minute something's got to stop now so I get I get where you were yeah I I could say I could behave myself a little bit better but I'm not where you were I think I'm just as my husband says to me darling you're not an alcoholic you're just worthless and weak <laughs> uh -huh. I'm just, just one little more walk to bed. yeah but now I, I I've got a few friends who've um given up the booze Kim Wilde has given up the booze mm. nearly three years and she did that uh, she did sober October and she did it to support her son who, who wanted to pull himself together a little bit. She said, I'll do that with you. And she just said, just what you said, it's like somebody switched a light on and life was so much better. And I'm all for that. I'm just not there. I'm just, I'm just not there. I can't imagine life without a great glass of Sauvignon. I just, I really can't, but you know, I guess we're all in different places. Sorry, my radio's going off. I, I manage a secret agent. I should have told you that, Carol. Yeah, yeah. He's called Double O H, and uh, going off on a sortie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think um, the thing for me, as in the example I gave, and I think for most people, is when it gets to the point where it's too painful just to continue. That that that's the point where it becomes easier to change, right? Um, yes. And not everyone is is there, or or and 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 I'm not trying to say they 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 should be. I. I toyed for like years with giving up. I mean, years I knew deep in my heart, I should try and experience life without all that stuff. Just, just to see what it's like. I mean, mm. since, since I was 14, I've been off my, pretty much off my head. Well, that's isn't it? Yeah. Being off your head. I would say I've probably been tiddly for the last 40. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I maybe exaggerate a bit. I sometimes, you know, might just be two beers on an evening, but it would have to be the two, you know, or or at least one, or or and it's gotta be something, yeah, it's gotta yeah. be something. Well, no, it, it is a, it's a, it's poison and it's a drug. And you're right, people drink for different. Every drink is a different drink. Mm. You know, if you have that, woohoo, that went well. Let's celebrate. That's a fun drink. That's a great drink. Um, but I can do lonely hearts drinking. I can drink quite happily on my own, just sit and wait through a bottle of wine on my own I don't need any company and I do realize that's kind of weird so every drink is a different drink I think you know and if if the amount of drinks that you have are too many and for the wrong reasons and that's the wrong drink so yes I used to get quite nostalgic when I drank I used to just think about my travels and stuff and experiences around the world and I just used to get in this nice warm fuzzy place but it's the going up is the nice part isn't it is like you say, it's the waking up in the morning and going, oh, God, especially if you've got bloody work or an appointment. <laughs> no, I'm not defending drinking. I, I'm, I feel kind of stuck with it a little bit. And also I do enjoy, I do enjoy it. I really do. But if it's got a hold of you that badly, then you have to try and do something about it. Um, but, you know, and, 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 and with booze, a lot of money is spent persuading us that it's an essential part of our lives. Because I, I will freely admit, I don't know how to celebrate without it, socialise without it, relax without it, commiserate and, and accept um, defeat without it. So, and I'm not even trying to hide that. 
I'm not even trying to hide that. I'm not in denial over anything. I'm just not ready to stop drinking my wine. I'm just not. But I get why you would. No. Like I said, I, I did it for 30 years, so I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't. And I it helped me, Carol. I'm, I'm an obviously made an idiot of myself lots and lots of times over that 30 years. But also, I'm going to be completely honest. It really helped me through bereavements and stuff. You know, my parents dying. I just had a drink and didn't care. I just it it, it I just drank for it. If I had to go to court because I've been caught for some speeding thing, I'd just go in the pub first and have a drink. If um, yeah, sorry, folks, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Ab- I'm just saying you got to do. You got to do what works for you in your life at the right time. I've never done the Dutch courage thing ever, and I've never been able to preload. Because when I was younger, I'm quite petite, but not as petite as I was. It's probably COVID beer fat suit. But when I was younger, I was very, very, very slim. I had a very fast metabolism, couldn't keep my weight up. All my girlfriends hated me because I would just lose weight standing in front of them. You know, So I was like seven and a half stone in my big to power days. I was absolutely tiny and running on energy. So one glass of wine and I was gone. So I could never do that. You know, some people can preload before they go out for the night. Mm. I sleep by eight o'clock. I could never and still can't do that. But what I will do is, and I never drink before a show, but when the show's over, I can do a bottle of wine in about 45 minutes. And I think that's a kind of a imposter syndrome drink. Phew, I got away with it again. <laughs> Relief, I got away with it again, you know. <laughs> So like I say, every drink is a different drink. It's for a different reason, doesn't it? But um, this one um, thing I did, it hasn't worked for me, but it, it does work for other people. Um, it's called Sober in Seven by the Booze Master, Andy Smith. He's a great guy um, and it, it would help a lot of people. But he goes through different things that might ring a bell with you. What resonates with you? What's going to make it work for you? And what um, got me was the money. Still hasn't made me stop. So let's say... I've been drinking for the better part of 40 years, mainly wine, since I, since the band made some money and I had disposable income and that lifestyle. So if you average it out between cheap wine and big wine, let's say I spend £10 a day on a bottle of wine. So that's, you know, 70 quid a week. So times that by a year and then times that by 40 years. And it will make, I can't do it without a calculator. But that's a lot of money and at this guy Andy Smith the booze master he worked out he'd spent like 180 200 grand when he added up everything he drank and so that made me think oh my god that's a crazy amount of money so if, if there's anyone out there who's thinking I can't really afford to do this just just get a calculator and put it in how much you spend a day times it by a week times it by a year times the years by the amount you know you've been boozing and it will shock you and and that's that's a lottery win that yes kind of, of course and it's what it's doing to your body, isn't it? Your internal organs and stuff. That 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 was a big motivator for me, um, especially when you're a late father, Carol. Do you know what I mean? Because I I don't want to be dead next week for my boy. I I want to still <laughs> I want to be here into at least in twenty years. Well, that's um, a fantastic motivator. That's wonderful. And he's lucky to have you as a dad because you're clearly really committed and you look really well from where I am. Zoomy zoomy, you look great. Hey, you say all the right things, Carol. <laughs> Listen, um, I I think I have uh, I have I have a date with the supermarket. We've got no food or wine in the house. <laughs> so I'm gonna it's to been absolutely wonderful. What can we promote for you? Did I see eighties in the park, or was I looking at? Uh, yeah, well, obviously, all the gigs are coming back online. Most of them, thank you, God. So, I would say to everybody, if you want to go and find um, to power.co.uk. So all lowercase, no apostrophe, or our Facebook, which is to power forward slash Carol Decker, then you'll see all the gigs. So yes. if you're interested in to power and you want to know where we are, that's all there for you to see where I am all around the UK from about June. Work starts to pick up. Which is and friends at home, we'll put all Carol and to power's links below the video so you can find find them easily. And then, um, Obviously, you're, you're now my, my director and editor, so hopefully we can put the video in for Guess Who's Sorry Now, and that's a download single available on all the usual platforms from the 30th of April. Yes. And I've listened listened to it several times now, and it's really good, folks, honestly. It's a, a very beautiful, it's beautiful, beautiful. 
Carol, just stay on the line while I say an official goodbye, because there's a couple of things I want to run by you, if that's okay. Um, But massive love to you and your family. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being a part of my life. And I, I know I'm speaking for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people when I say that. Um, you're welcome back anytime. That would just be great to see you. Uh, for our friends at home, massive love to you as well. If you could like and subscribe, that would be great. Um, we'll see you next time and listen to this. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.